Chapter Twenty One, Part Two of The Book of Camping and Woodcraft, a guidebook for those who travel in the wilderness. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. The Book of Camping and Woodcraft, a guide for those who travel in the wilderness, by Horace Kempart. Chapter Twenty One, Accidents, Their Backwoods Treatment. Part two. Snake bite. The only dangerous snakes in the United States are the rattlesnake, the copperhead, and the cottonmouth moccasin. The small coral snake, harlequin, bead snake of the Gulf states, and the Sonoran coral snake of New Mexico and Arizona are somewhat venomous, but their bite is not fatal to a healthy adult. The Gila monster of the Southwest is a dangerous lizard, the only one that is venomous but can scarcely be provoked to bite. All other reptiles of our country and Canada are harmless. Their bite is no more to be feared than that of a mouse. The notion that the bite of a puff adder must be dangerous because the snake puffs up its neck and hisses like a goose, or that the common water snake is a moccasin and consequently venomous, is all moonshine, like the story of the hoop snake and the snake with a poisonous sting in its tail. However, that other notion that a rattlesnake's bite is not a serious matter is moonshine, too. Men who know nothing about other rattlers than the little prairie rattlesnake are not competent to express an opinion on the subject. A bite from any venomous snake is dangerous, in proportion to the size of the snake and the amount of venom that enters the circulation. A bite that does not pierce an important blood vessel is seldom fatal, even if no treatment is given unless the snake be quite large. The rattlesnake, copperhead, and cottonmouth are easily distinguished from all other snakes, as all three of them bear a peculiar mark, or rather a pair of marks, that no other animal possesses. This mark is the pit, which is a deep cavity on each side of the face between the nostril and the eye, sinking into the upper jawbone. Its position is shown in the accompanying cut. All venomous snakes have fangs, and no harmless ones have them. The fangs are in the upper jaw only. In the coral snakes they are permanently erect, but in the other venomous snakes, here named, they lie flat against the roof of the mouth, when not in use, pointing backward, and are erected by the reptile in striking. They are long, slender, sharply pointed, either grooved on the outside or perforated, and connected by a duct with the venom glands which lie behind the eyes. Footnote. High authorities have declared that the fang of the rattlesnake is not perforated, but only grooved. They are mistaken. I have examined many mature fangs of the timber rattlesnakes killed by myself or by my companions within the past month, and every fang was perforated throughout, the front opening being exactly like that of a hypodermic needle. A fine wire can be run through from base to point. End of footnote. Auxiliary fangs lie in a sack underneath the regular fang on each side, and, in case the latter is broken off or extracted, a new fang will be ready for business within a few days. Here are a few characteristics of the pit vipers, as our three deadly snakes are collectively called. 1. Copperhead, also called deaf adder, upland moccasin, pilot snake, chunkhead. A small snake, two to three feet long, with a moderately thick body, broad and triangular head, quite distinct from the neck, tail short, 
dark-colored and pointed color of back a bronze hazel or light reddish brown with fifteen to twenty darker bands which are narrow on the back and expand to wide blotches on the flanks the shape being somewhat like that of a dumbbell with very short handle head a bright copper red with two small dark brown spots close together on the forehead at upper part of head shield and with a cream-colored band around the mouth the copperhead inhabits the mountainous and hilly regions from massachusetts southward to the gulf and westward south of michigan wisconsin iowa and nebraska to kansas indian territory and texas its venom is as deadly as that of the rattlesnake but it is not secreted in as large quantity as that of the large rattlers consequently the wound is not likely to be so serious still the copperhead is a particularly dangerous creature because it gives no warning of its presence nor according to my observation does it try to get out of the way but holds its ground and springs at any intruder only one species two cottonmouth moccasin water moccasin a larger snake ordinarily about three feet sometimes four feet long stout body head shaped like that of the copperhead and similarly distinct from the neck black brown reddish or olive with eleven to fifteen rather inconspicuous bars or pairs of bars of dark brown with light centers on each flank tail short pointed and dark brown or banded belly brownish yellow mottled with dark blotches habitat north carolina southward to the gulf westward through kentucky southern illinois and missouri to oklahoma and eastern texas not so poisonous as the larger kinds of rattlesnakes but still dangerous to human life quite numerous in the southern states more aggressive than the rattlesnake striking at everything within reach but usually rather deliberate about striking first opening its mouth widely for some seconds as if to intimidate and showing the white interior hence the name cottonmouth usually found near water and often on low limbs overhanging the water only one species the other so-called moccasins are either the copperhead or harmless snakes three rattlesnake of rattlers we have no less than sixteen species but only two of them the massasagua and the banded or timber rattlesnake are found in the eastern and central states the little prairie rattlesnake which is not very dangerous is abundant on the plains west of the missouri river the great diamond rattlesnake of the south which sometimes grows to a length of nearly nine feet is the most formidable member of this group the small ground rattlesnake of the southern states is aggressive and gives only a faint warning and on this account is more dreaded by the negroes than the larger species but its bite is seldom fatal to grown people the other species are confined to the southwest and the pacific coast rattlesnakes are easily identified by their rattles these generally last only long enough to become eight or ten jointed rattles with as many as fifteen or eighteen joints are quite rare the number of rattles does not indicate the snake's age their office is not clearly understood dr steniger says they are a substitute for a voice when a rattlesnake sees a man approaching it generally lies quiet to escape observation so long as it thinks itself concealed it does not strike unless provoked if alarmed when it is wide awake it always springs its rattle before striking the sound being very similar to that made by our common locust or cicada 
if the reptile is trodden on when asleep it strikes like lightning it does its rattling afterward unfortunately for us the poisonous snakes sleep in the daytime and hunt at night they are prone to seek the warmth of bedclothes and will sometimes coil up alongside of a sleeping man mosquito netting is an effective bar against snakes snakes despise musk tobacco and turpentine a snake is not obliged to coil before striking but can strike from any position it will coil first however unless attacked very suddenly or taken at a disadvantage a snake does not intentionally throw its venom but if it misses its mark the act of hissing may throw the poison several feet the blow is delivered with lightning rapidity and the fangs are instantly sunk into the victim no snake can leap entirely from the ground nor can it strike more than two-thirds its own length unless it has the advantage of striking downhill or from some purchase on a rock or bush a snake does not expend all its venom at one blow it is not rendered permanently harmless by extracting its fangs for it will promptly grow new ones a venomous snake is immune against its own poison and probably against that of other poisonous reptiles but non-poisonous snakes are not immune the bite of even a newly born snake of venomous species is serious the bite of a venomous reptile is intensely painful the victim soon becomes dull and languid breathing with difficulty the venom first enfeebles the heart then the breathing apparatus if this early depression passes over recovery is often sudden but if the quantity of venom injected be large death may follow in man within twenty minutes the tendency of the poison is to spread very rapidly through the system making the blood thin and destroying its power to clot at the same time it rots the blood vessels and in fatal cases causes a general seepage of blood throughout the system in some cases a whole limb is soaked to the bone with decomposed blood there is always inflammation around the wound with great pain much depends on the part struck bites on the bare skin are more dangerous than those received through the clothing a bite in the extremities is rarely fatal in a large majority of cases the wound does not touch an important blood vessel and the patient will recover with no other treatment than a ligature promptly applied and a free bleeding and sucking of the wound many species of wild plants are popularly supposed to have the property of neutralizing the venom of serpents but scientific research has failed to demonstrate that any of them have any effect on the poison at all this notwithstanding that probably all of the reputed snake masters have been identified and their physiological action determined however i have received such positive and respectable testimony to the efficacy of the following three plants that i would like their properties thoroughly tested one common violet viola colculata two cedron seed the fluid extract three sanical sanicula mirlandica when a man is bitten he should instantly twist a tourniquet very tightly between the wound and the heart to keep the poison as far as possible from entering the system then cut the wound wide open so it may bleed freely and suck the wound if practicable the poison is harmless if swallowed but not if it gets into the circulation through an abrasion in the mouth or through a hollow tooth loosen the ligature before long to admit fresh blood to the injured part but tighten it again very soon and repeat this alternate tightening and loosening for a considerable time the object is to admit only a little of the poison at a time into the general circulation meantime drink whiskey in moderate doses but at frequent intervals 
if a great quantity is guzzled all at once it will do more harm than good whiskey is not an antidote it has no effect at all on the venom its service is simply as a stimulant for the heart and lungs thus helping the system itself to throw off the poison and as a bracer to the victim's nerves helping him over the crisis the only known positive antidotes for snake venom in the form of drugs are chromatic acid potassium permanganate and strychnine administered hypodermically of the former a one percent solution is used as for the permanganate it is easy to carry in crystallized form and i have frequently seen recommendations that it be carried in this way to be dissolved in water before injecting or to be merely rubbed into the opened wound but a man may be struck when he is far from water i do not believe that the crystals can be brought into close enough contact with the seat of the wound bottom of puncture with certainty nor that they will dissolve quickly enough in blood to do very much good my own practice when traveling in a snake country is to carry a solution of the permanganate in a glass stoppered tube together with a similar tube containing a solution of strychnine and a hypodermic syringe promptitude with these remedies after legating may be depended upon to cure the bite fresh permanganate solution should be made at intervals to avoid precipitation chronic acid does not precipitate as for the use of the hypodermic syringe i here copy by permission a clear and concise article on this subject prepared expressly for explorers and other campers by dr h plimpton and published in abercrombie and fitch's catalogue the use of the hypodermic syringe the following article gives directions for using the syringe and four remedies which are most likely to be needed these four remedies are first potassium permanganate in half-grain tablets second cocaine and morphine tablets composed of cocaine one-fifth grain morphine one-fortieth grain soda chlorine one-fifth grain third morphine in one-quarter grain tablets fourth strychnia in one-fortieth grain tablets these four remedies are all that are absolutely necessary for emergencies such as venomous insect reptile or snake bite exhaustion shock heart failure minor surgical operations and allaying intense pain the object of hypodermic medication is to get the remedy into the blood as quickly as possible and to introduce it as near as may be to the seat of the injury or the pain to ensure its rapid assimilation by the blood the medicine should be injected just between the skin and the muscles underneath in other words into the fat use dissolve the tablet to be used in the proper amount of water or put any solution to be used into a teaspoon or what you may have that will hold it a leaf properly folded will do even the hollow of the hand in an emergency you will find a fine wire run through the hollow needle to keep it clear remove this remove the cap from the end of the syringe and suck up the solution from the teaspoon by drawing out the piston of the syringe screw the needle firmly on the end of the syringe from which the cap was removed hold the syringe with the needle pointing upwards and press gently on the piston until the fluid begins to come out of the needle this is to force all the air out of the syringe now take up a fold or pinch of skin between the thumb and forefinger insert the needle with a rotary motion of the syringe as when boring a hole with an awl be careful not to press on the piston when so doing keep the needle in line with the line of the fold and it will be in correct position 
the needle will slip through the skin quickly and almost painlessly push it in its full length now press firmly on the piston and force it slowly until the contents have been injected being careful to keep the syringe in position withdraw the needle and with the thumb press the little hole made by the needle with the first and second fingers rub the swelling made by the injected fluid for a few moments and it will disappear leaving nothing but a tiny red spot location if the injection be made between the skin and the muscles as described it may be made anywhere on the body although just over a bone that is close to the surface as the shin bone or on the back of the hand are places to be avoided also in the bend of the elbows and knees and in the armpits are vessels that would be injured by the careless use of the syringe the outside of the forearm or the upper arm the calf of the leg or the thigh the big muscles of the buttocks and the shoulder and anywhere on the back are all places where the needle may be used without hesitation a short needle three-eighths of an inch long accompanies most outfits and this may be used without taking up a fold of the skin simply jabbed quickly and firmly as deep as it will go straight into any one of the big muscles the dangers in the use of the hypodermic are practically nothing exercise the same amount of care as in administering medicine by the mouth and no harm can be done and as in the case of a rattlesnake wound the advantages are so immeasurably ahead of any treatment by the mouth even if it were dangerous it would be worth taking the chance precautions be sure that the tablet is thoroughly dissolved or you may force a piece of it into the needle and spoil it ten drops of water will dissolve any one tablet and fifteen will suffice for any two especially if the water be warm do not use more tablets than this unless by direction after using the syringe and before removing the needle draw up some water and eject it to clear the needle a little vaseline or gun grease on the wire will prevent the needle from rusting first for venomous insect and snake bite tie a piece of small rope or a heavy handkerchief or a bandage loosely around the limb two and one-half inches from the wound and between the wound and the heart if the wound be on the face or the body this is manifestly impossible tighten this binder by twisting a stick in it until the binder sinks into the flesh and is quite painful this is to stop circulation as much as possible prepare the syringe using a short needle dissolve one one-half grain tablet of potassium permanganate in two teaspoonsful of water fill the syringe and inject at once half the contents directly into the swelling made by the bite inject the remainder about an inch nearer the body use deep injection if possible otherwise just under the skin two more injections must now be made in the immediate neighborhood of the wound each of them being about half a syringeful and all between the wound and the bandage as the swelling of the limb increases the binder may be gradually loosened and after half an hour it may be removed entirely immediately after giving the injection of potassium permanganate dissolve one tablet of strychnia sulphur one fortieth of a grain in about fifteen drops of water and inject it into the outside surface of the upper arm midway between the elbow and the shoulder and just under the skin dissolve another strychnia tablet and prepare it in the syringe note the symptoms the first symptoms are excitement quickened pulse and rapid breathing followed by depression shallow breathing and drowsiness 
this condition must be treated by tablespoon doses of brandy or whiskey at half-hour intervals three doses will be enough large amounts of whiskey will not cure snake bite but will do much harm the condition of respiration must be carefully watched and if there is a continuance or recurrence of shallow or quick breathing the second syringeful of strychnia should be injected into the arm as before this strychnia injection may be repeated at fifteen minute intervals one tablet at each injection until five tablets have been given or the breathing becomes more nearly normal the patient should not be allowed to sleep for more than two hours continuously during the first twenty-four hours the bowel should be made to move freely by means of cathartic pills salts or oil cheerful and encouraging suggestions will do much to counteract the depression following the absorption of the poison careful investigation and close observation of properly authenticated cases of rattlesnake poisoning have led to the positive conclusion that a man in good health will stand an even chance of recovery from a rattlesnake strike without any treatment whatever with a hypodermic syringe and proper remedies at hand there is no danger of a serious result second for minor surgical operations the cocaine and morphine tablets should be used as follows dissolve one tablet in one teaspoonful of water and take up a syringeful of that solution inject half the quantity under the skin not deep where the cut is to be made almost immediately the skin will become wax-like this will indicate that the part is being numbed so that an incision can be made without causing pain make a sufficient number of injections to cover the part to be cut the surface benumbed by each injection will be about the size of a twenty-five cent piece third for allaying intense pain and physical suffering morphine should be used by dissolving one tablet one quarter grain in about ten drops of water and injecting it under the skin as near the seat of the pain as possible if the pain is caused by some injury such as a broken bone or a severe burn and is likely to last a second tablet may be given in fifteen minutes and a third one twenty minutes later pain is the antidote for morphine and as long as pain exists there is no danger from a much larger dose than the above if however the pain arises from some cause such as cramps that is likely to end abruptly the above dose is enough fourth for exhaustion shock great fatigue hunger heart failure strychnia should be used as follows dissolve the tablet in ten drops of water and inject into the outside of the arm midway between the elbow and the shoulder the condition of exhaustion whether from great exertion loss of blood or hunger has caused a marked depression of the heart's action and the nervous system is noticeably affected the patient is pale a cold perspiration covers the face the breathing is shallow and quick and the pulse is faint and very rapid one injection will show a decided effect but if a second is necessary fifteen minutes afterward do not hesitate to give it a traveller should examine the syringe from time to time so as to ensure that it is in working order drowning on this subject i can do no better than reprint the instructions issued by the u s volunteer life-saving corps which are as follows rescuing approach the drowning man from behind seizing him by the coat collar or a woman by the back hair and tow him at arm's length to boat or shore do not let him cling round your neck or arms to endanger you dunk him until unconscious if necessary to break a dangerous hold upon you but do not strike to stun him resuscitation first immediately loosen the clothing about the neck and chest exposing them to the wind except in very severe weather 
and get the water out of the body. First try tickling in the throat by a straw or feather, or ammonia to the nose. Try a severe slap with the open hand upon the chest and soles of the feet. If no immediate result, proceed as follows. Second, lay the body with its weight on the stomach across any convenient object, a keg, box, boat, timber, or your knee in the open air, with the head hanging down. Open the mouth quickly, drawing the tongue forward with handkerchief or cloth so as to let the water escape. Keep the mouth clear of liquid. Then roll the body gently from side to side so as to relieve the pressure on the stomach, then back to the stomach. Do this several times to force the water from the stomach and throat. Third, lying the body on the back, make a roll of a coat or any garment. Place it under the shoulders of the patient, allowing the head to fall back. Then kneel at the head of the patient. Grasp the arms at the middle of the forearms, folded across the stomach. Raise the arms over the head to a perpendicular position, drawing them backwards straight, then forward over the head to the sides again, pressing the arms on the lower part of the ribs and sides, so as to produce a bellows movement upon the lungs. Do this sixteen or eighteen times a minute. Smelling salts, camphor, or ammonia may be applied to the nostrils to excite breathing but give no spirits internally until after breathing and circulation are restored. The clothing should be removed, the body dried, and the legs rubbed briskly upwards from foot to knee, occasionally slapping the soles of the feet with the open hand. Fourth, on signs of life, or when breathing is restored, wrap in warm blanket or hot cloths. To encourage circulation, hot tea, brandy, or any spirits may be given in small doses, with care to avoid strangulation and brisk rubbing and warmth apply to the entire body. Keep at work until recovery or death is pronounced certain by a physician. Persons have been revived after two hours of steady work, but most cases revive within 30 minutes. End of chapter 21 End of The Book of Camping and Woodcraft, A Guidebook for Those Who Travel in the Wilderness, by Horace Kempfart.